Acts chapter 4 this morning. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday in verse number 23. And of course, we've been looking at the miracle that was performed by Peter and John as they raised up a lame man who had never walked, and God, through them, miraculously granted that man his health and his strength, which drew a lot of attention, and many people gathered to hear what had taken place, and Peter took the opportunity then to preach a clear message about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the fact that salvation is found in Him. Then because of the preaching, the religious leaders were incensed, they were grieved. That's the word that's used in Acts 4 and verse 2. And so they pulled the apostles aside, put them in jail overnight, and the next day brought them before this formidable council of religious powerful men and accused them and threatened them and asked them what they were doing. Of course, we saw last week, Peter and John didn't back down one bit because they knew that the message they were preaching was the truth. There was nothing that they could do to change the message. And so finally, they were threatened strongly and released. And we pick up the account in verse number 23, Acts chapter 4. And the scripture says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done." And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, And brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, 
having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This morning, we need to be reminded that persecution is a reality in the world in which we live. You and I may not face persecution like is being described in Acts chapter 4, because at least for the moment, we live in a mostly free country. But this is not the case in many other places in our world, and it is also not a guarantee to you and I as American Christians. There's probably not a one of us this morning that desires to face persecution, but you and I should be reminded today that this is really the way of life in many parts of the world, and it is quite possible that the day will come when we will also face persecution if we are going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are other forms of persecution than that which is seen in Acts chapter 4, and those we do experience. Those are more subtle, less overt, less outward, And we do see those things encroaching on our liberties as Christians, even in our country today. There are things that we face which we could call persecution. The question this morning is, when we face persecution for preaching the gospel, what is the right response? What should be done? This morning you should know that we have missionaries who are, that we support who are laboring in parts of the world where they are under the threat of persecution on a daily basis. You should understand that there are believers in other parts of the world who know the fact that if they make public their faith in too brazen of a way, they are likely to face severe persecution and possibly lose their life. You should be aware that there is a global agenda that is enacted and in place seeking to slowly and steadily take away the liberties of anyone that would profess to have true faith in Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, you're a conspiracy theorist. Actually, I am a conspiracy theorist. There is a tremendous spiritual conspiracy which is playing out in our world even now, and the Bible told us that it would be so. And so this morning, we shouldn't be surprised that there are spiritual powers in high places that are at work trying to subdue and push back the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we could become alarmed by this. We could get ourselves all worked up and become political activists trying to push for our rights and find out the best way to preserve our liberties, I suggest to you a different response for God's people and something that we find outlined in the scripture here in this passage. You would agree with me this morning that Peter and John and the church at Jerusalem is facing some pretty strong persecution. That persecution is going to become more and more intense in the in the preceding chapters of Acts. And we're going to see that this is going to go all the way up to some of the apostles losing their life, the believers being scattered all over the face of the known world and run out of the city of Jerusalem. So we know where this is going. This is just the beginning 
of the persecution, but there is something about how these believers responded which is so refreshing and so encouraging and so helpful and hopeful to us as believers today. You say, what did they do? Well, in Acts chapter 4, we notice four distinct responses that they had in the time of persecution. First of all, we see that they went to the place of prayer. In fact, this is the very first place or the very first response that they had. And I remind you this morning that prayer marks our dependence upon God in times of persecution. It's in times of trouble when we find out who it is that we really trust. Who is it that we really depend upon? You'll notice in verse 23, Peter and John were let go. They went back to the church and they reported all the things that had been said to them. And you could imagine that this would be a, stress, a distressing time. Could you, could you imagine if we had some folks out on visitation on Saturday, and they were knocking on doors, and the police came and said, you're not allowed to do this in this neighborhood, threw them in the back of the car, took them down to the county jail, booked them overnight. Then they appeared before a judge in the morning, and the judge said, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus again, and if you do, you are going to face serious consequences. We call a church meeting. Brethren, gather together. Brother, I don't know. Brother Anger and Brother Dash were arrested for preaching the gospel and they've been released and they're coming back to tell us what happened. So we all gather together and they get up here and they tell us about how they were preaching the gospel and how they got arrested and what it was like in jail and all the things that were said to them. Can you imagine the Facebook posts? Can you imagine the, the looks at one another? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond you know, this is exactly what's happening in this church. Many of these believers are new believers. They've only just recently gotten saved. They've only just become followers of Jesus Christ. But what we find that they do is they go to the Lord. Because this church understood that real help comes from God. But I want you to see something about how they prayed because in verse 24, it says, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Do you see that? They didn't start with the concern that they had and the fear and asking God for deliverance. They started off by saying, Lord, we need to take a moment and worship you for who you are. God's people are worshipers. God's people are worshipers in the dark and in the light, in the sunshine and in the rain. Uh, when it's difficult and when it's easy, we ought to be a worshiping people. And the right response in times of persecution is not to say, oh, me, it's so horrible, everything's so bad. The right response is to get on our face before God and worship Him. His power has not changed or been taken away simply because we are facing some kind of difficulty. They worshiped God. And then we find that they prayed according to the Scriptures. In just a moment... We're going to look at how important the scriptures are to the response that they had to this persecution. 
But it's helpful to us to remember that prayer should always be formed by the revealed truth of God. We ought to do our very best to make sure that when we're praying, we're not uttering meaningless phrases of things that we've heard from other people or that we've heard displayed in prayer meeting, but rather that we are praying according to the Word of God. And you'll find that when you pray according to the Word of God, you'll pray according to the will of God. And this church had learned something about praying already. They had learned something, I think they learned it, from their first pastor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had learned something about the importance of prayer and the importance of praying according to the Scriptures. How many times in our prayer life are we just following the emotional whims and wants that are dominating our spirit instead of praying according to the Word of God? Even in our church prayer meetings, we ought to be careful to pray in such a way that we could say our prayer is scriptural. Now, I ask you the question this morning, how often do you and I find ourselves running to prayer as a church family during times of difficulty or persecution? I hope we could say with honesty that it is a common response for us, because it ought to be. Prayer marks our dependence upon God in times of persecution. So we see that this church prayed, and actually a lot of the passage is detailing the way that they prayed. But the second thing that we see about what they did in the face of persecution has to do with the Word of God, which we've already pointed out was forming the way that they prayed. But there's something else to be learned about the Word of God in this passage as it pertains to persecution, because what we find in Acts chapter 4 is that Scripture reveals God's purpose in times of persecution. You'll see that they go back in their prayer and they quote from the book of Psalms about the heathen rising up, the heathen raging, and the people imagining vain things. I believe you'll find that in your Bibles in Psalm 2, about how the rulers of this earth rise up against the Lord and they imagine that things will be a certain way and that they're going to overcome God. And so they're going back to that psalm and they're thinking about that psalm and incorporating it in their prayer. And then in verse 27, they applied the scripture to their current situation when they said, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, And the people of Israel were gathered together. And so they look back and they say, you know, when Jesus was crucified at the hands of these same religious leaders, that was a fulfillment of Psalms. Uh, That prophecy was made about the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to see what they said in the next verse in their prayer to God. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You see what they're saying? They're saying that though they had experienced some persecution, Jesus had been put to death, now they are facing persecution, but they're recognizing that according to the Scriptures, none of this is outside of God's plan. None of this is outside of God's ability to to manage and to help and to accomplish His will in this world. You know, there's an important truth for us to remember during times of persecution. 
Persecution is distressing. No, nobody wants to face persecution. Nobody wants to live with the threat of death or the threat of serious penalty for being a Christian and for preaching the gospel. But something that we observe looking back over years of history, a couple thousand years of Christian history, is that when God's people are persecuted, they are often at their best. That is often the time when God amplifies their testimony. You will find often that it is during times of persecution that the most people get saved, that churches explode with growth, that the word of God goes forth with power. You would think it would be the opposite way or the other way around, but often God uses these seasons of persecution to accomplish his will, which is the dissemination broadly of the gospel. Now, David in the book of Psalms predicted the rage of the heathen and the imagination of vain things against God by the rulers upon this earth. Would you agree with me this morning that this is the world we are living in right now? That even now, those who are the enemies of God are imagining vain things against God, that they are against the ways of God. They're trying to suppress the knowledge of God. You and I are living right now in the midst of perilous times. The Bible says perilous times shall come. Perilous times have come. You and I should not be surprised by persecution or difficulty because of the gospel. Do you know that Jesus told us it would happen? He even said, and we're memorizing the verses, blessed are ye when men shall persecute you. And that's right before our memory verses that we're working on as a church. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for you're going to have a great reward in heaven if you've been persecuted. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not the way that I think about persecution naturally. I don't think, oh boy, I just hope I could find somebody to persecute me. I hope somebody would be mean to me today. I hope somebody would tell me to get off their property and leave them alone. That's not the way that I think, probably not the way that you think. But there is a special blessing for those who face persecution. What Scripture reveals is that persecution of his people does not take God by surprise. Even in the midst of these perilous times, God is working out his plan in this world. This morning, we can take great consolation in the fact that God has told us what he's up to. And even if we face persecution, we can be assured of his purpose being done. So we see that they responded with prayer. We see also that they went to the scriptures and allowed the scriptures to inform their understanding. That idea of allowing the scriptures to inform our understanding of what is actually going on, that is so powerful and so helpful. Many times, we are forming our perspective and our understanding of what is going on in our lives by how we feel about it. And what we perceive, you know, in this, in this moment, this parentheses in which we're living, we can see, okay, this is what's happening, but we cannot see what went before very clearly. We are definitely not seeing what's going to come after. And be reminded this morning that God has an eternal perspective Therefore, when we need sound counsel and light for our path, this book is going to help us. And as God's people, let us be shaped by the word of God and not by our emotions or our feelings about the circumstances.
circumstances of life that we face. So they went to prayer. They went to the Word of God. Third of all, we notice that as they were praying, they prayed for something very unusual. In verse 29, here is their specific prayer request. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Now, I want you to see how I would pray if this was me. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and tear down all their houses and destroy their life and deliver me soundly from this threat of persecution. Would you want to pray that way? Would you want to say, Lord, deliver me. Get these guys off my back. Get rid of them. Destroy them. Let's find every imprecatory prayer in the book of Psalms that we can find, and let's start praying all those prayers against them. That's not what they did. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings. Listen to what they're saying. We want you, Lord, to know what is being said, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. The third response that they had, boldness should be our desire in times of persecution. We are living in a time and in a culture where our culture at large, the popular culture of our country, is pushing very hard to try to get people who are true Bible believers to be quiet about what they believe. Listen, if you want to believe it, that's fine. Just don't say it publicly. Don't, don't tell anybody what you believe. And there are threats that exist, okay? If you tell people what you believe, you lose your job. You lose the ability to have a career. You lose the ability to go higher in this company. You lose the ability to be influential in society. You lose the ability, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, you know, like we're going to put you in jail yet, but it is you're going to suppress what you believe and what you what you hold to, those are not things that are allowed to be said publicly. Would you agree with me that that's the culture we're living in? That is what is going on right now. So as Christians, as believers in the Word of God, we need to ask God to give us a holy boldness to declare the truth. These believers did not ask for deliverance from the trial. They did not ask for the persecution to go away. There would be a time and place perhaps for that kind of a prayer, but the first thing that they prayed for is that God would strengthen them with boldness so that they could speak the word with power from on high. This ought to be your desire and my desire. You and I ought to desire to speak the word with holy boldness. Now, we're not talking about being rude We're not talking about threatening in return to the threatenings that come against us. We're not talking about being impolite or unkind. We're not talking about somehow a pouring out wrath upon people who are trying to hurt the people of God. Rather, what we are talking about is standing with humility and meekness, but the power of the Holy Spirit of God and saying... Whatever you're going to do to me, I have to tell you, this is what the Bible says, and I cannot change the message. I cannot back up from what God has said is the truth. What a sad thing it is when God's people 
step back from the clear message because they're afraid of what consequences might come against them. Boldness should be our desire in times of persecution. Now, there is a place where Jesus said that he wanted his disciples to know that they needed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so there is a place for the proper use of boldness But obviously, these believers did not want to step back from the message that God had given to them. And in fact, then we see in verse 31, in answer to their prayer, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So their prayer was answered. And what we'll notice in verse number 31 is that when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you will speak the Word of God with boldness. Those two things go together. A lack of boldness is evidence of a lack of the Holy Spirit's power. Now, bear in mind that these believers had already been empowered, specially on the day of Pentecost. But in this case, God is empowering them particularly for this moment they feel, they sense, that their hearts are quaking with fear. Sometimes people say, when they talk with me, especially newer Christians, they'll say, Pastor, you know, I I just get so afraid. I'm so afraid to go on door-to-door visitation. I'm so afraid to talk to people. I I just struggle with fear so much. And, And they'll say something like this. I'm sure that you don't understand what that's about. You probably don't have that feeling at all. And I usually laugh. And say, actually, every time I go on outreach, I am scared to death. I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know who I'm going to encounter every single time. Now, maybe there's people out there who don't have that kind of fear. They don't have any struggle with that. But me, as many times as I've been involved in sharing the gospel with people, I still have to deal with fear because fear is a natural response of the flesh And it's a reminder to me, I need the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit's power. That's what you and I need. We need to be enabled to speak boldly, not to back up from the message of God, from the full message that God has given, lest we should lead people into error instead of into truth. You and I can't apologize for the message that God has given us to declare. This message is uncomfortable. It cuts across the grain of almost all religion. It it is in, in, in disagreement with the prevailing way of thought in this world. There's not a doubt about it. But we have to kindly and carefully, but with great boldness, declare, Thus saith the Lord. To put it another way, if we back up from the message and give people a false hope of salvation... A hope of salvation in something that is different from what God has said. How destructive that would be. Wouldn't that make us equivalent to the Pharisees who would go about and make people twofold more the child of hell by declaring a false message to them? And so we must be careful and we must be bold to preach the message of the gospel. 
these disciples. They wanted to be filled with this spirit of boldness and they asked God to give them boldness. In this day in which we are living, may God give us boldness to declare the truth according to the word of God. So they went to prayer. They went to the scriptures so that they would understand what God was up to. They asked God to give them boldness. But then there's an interesting response in the last few verses of Acts chapter 4. Because as they're preaching the word of God with boldness, it goes then in verse 32, it, it almost seems like it doesn't go together. Here's these bold guys preaching the gospel and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So here they are preaching, but a fourth response in the face of persecution is that love for the brethren should be our recourse in times of persecution. Sometimes I think that we tend to regard the apostles in particular as these big, strong, bold guys who didn't care about anybody's feelings and just ran roughshod over everybody. That is not the case. In fact, we know, for instance, that John, who is the focus of this persecution along with Peter, was known as the apostle of love. He was a man who had such a tender heart of love towards others And here we see that the whole church is gathered around this cause and they have this unity which is causing them to have this deep care for one another. Now, there is a unique situation that's taking place in the early chapters of Acts. And that unique situation is pertaining to the fact that you have thousands of people who have come into town for the day of Pentecost, for the the celebrations, the feast that extended from the time of of Passover all the way up 50 days later to the time of Pentecost, and it was a time of celebration. Many of these people were pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, who had come from various parts of the world all around to town for the purpose of observing these Jewish feasts, and while they were there, they heard the gospel, they heard about Jesus Christ, and they had been converted. All right, so now think about yourself. You go on a trip to another country. You've budgeted to be gone for three weeks. You're going to be missing work, but you've got money saved up. You're prepared to stay there for three weeks. And let's just pretend like when you get there, a worldwide pandemic sets in. I know it's hard to believe that something like that could happen. And you get stranded in another country and you can't work anymore. And now all of a sudden you have no resources. You're running out of money. Your bank account is going down, 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 down. Your debit card When you put it in, it says insufficient funds, no more money. What are you going to do? All right, now you're in a bad way, right? This is what's happening to these believers. Many of them are far from home. They're far from their jobs. Yes, they've prepared financially to be gone for a period of time, but they're starting to run to the end of their resources. So what happens? Well, the brethren say, hey, listen, we're, we're a body we're, we're a family. Some of us have some resources. You'll find later in the chapter, some of them had some property. This was like their extra property, their farming property that was in the family. They said, hey, we're going to start selling our property. We're going to start selling off assets. We're going to take all the money and we're going to put it towards 
the good of those who have needs. In other words, they practically began to minister to one another. Now, this is not a long-term situation in the church at Jerusalem. In fact, it won't be very long after this that all these members are going to be scattered all over the known world. Many of them are going to return back to the places where they're from and take the gospel with them. But for this time, they're ministering to one another. Now, there's a principle, though, in verses 32 through 37 that we find about the love that we should have for the brethren. And you understand that when people are facing persecution, there is a unique opportunity to love them. There is a unique opportunity to care for them, to minister to them. These believers had been knit together by the Holy Spirit with one heart and one soul. That means they had the same desires. They wanted to see the gospel go forward. And they said, we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. We're willing to put our resources towards this goal. They began to share their worldly goods with one another. And in this community of love, God showered down His great grace. And many saw the power of God as they went about witnessing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what the result was of this unity of these brothers and this care for one another? It is that many more people were getting saved. The, the, the testimony about Jesus Christ. Now see, the religious leaders intended to suppress the message. They wanted to press it down and keep it quiet. But the persecution had the opposite effect. The persecution ended up being like throwing gasoline on the fire. They thought they were throwing a bucket of water and would put the fire out. Instead, they threw a bucket of gasoline. And all of a sudden, the fervency and the boldness and the love for one another and the filling of the Holy Spirit just exploded in this church. And now, it's going to get very difficult Yes, even impossible for the religious leaders to control the spread of the gospel. Men are so arrogant. They think that they can control what God is doing in the world. They think that they can stop God's message from going forward. Nothing could be further from the truth. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, made this statement back in the first century. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what he meant by that was, the more you persecute the people of God, even take their lives, what you will find is, as you're fighting against the gospel, you're actually spreading the gospel more and more. In the face of persecution, what we learn is that God is going to continue his work. We can rest in him. We can depend upon him. And yes, we should go with great boldness to declare, thus saith the Lord, in a world that desperately needs to hear from God. Here's what I believe what's going on in our world today. Is there persecution? Absolutely. Is there an effort to stamp out the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth that comes from God? Absolutely, without a doubt, that is going on. But is that effective? You know what I'm finding? Is that the more the enemy tries to stamp it out, the more the gospel spreads. The more people are being exposed to the truth. I believe, frankly, in our society and in our culture in which we live, 
all of this mind-bending stuff and the, the, the lies that are being told all around us about so many things that are foundational to understanding about ourselves and the world, all of these lies that are being told are just creating in people more and more of a thirst for the truth. There are so many people around us who desperately want to know, what can I trust? What can I believe? Is there anything to believe? And yes, there's many who are deluded. Yes, there's many who are deceived. But there are also many who are eager and waiting for the light of God's word because they want the stability that comes from knowing God has given a more sure word of prophecy. So as God's people, may we be careful not to step back in this season, not to, not to, to limit our message, not to be more careful, but rather to ask God to give us a holy boldness to declare this is what God says without apology, without changing the message, without stepping back from what God has declared. Let us be bold and let us be, be careful to walk in the filling of the Spirit because we live in a world that desperately needs the truth. In the last couple of years, I don't know how many times I've had people say to me, I just don't know who to believe anymore. I just don't know who to believe. Now, that's not a good time to say, you could believe me. That's a good time to say, I know who to believe. Can I point you to one who will never lead you wrong? To one whose words are always true? Friend, if we face persecution... Let us respond like the apostles. This morning, if you know that there are some folks who are facing persecution, and there are, there are some people around the world who are facing persecution, this is a way for us to pray for them, that God would help them to respond in this way, and that the gospel would go forth in, a, in an explosive way as a result, that God would continue to do His work. Persecution is a reality. We must prepare ourselves for that reality. But let us resolve this morning that we will not allow persecution to cause us to step back from what God wants us to be involved in in this world. Do you know that God never said the Great Commission is in force as long as the political climate is agreeable? He never said, as long as, as, long as the leaders of your, of your country are in agreement with it, you could go ahead and make disciples. Now, those, those conditions were never placed on the Great Commission. God always intended us to go no matter what. And we have a higher authority than any authority on this earth Amen. to be able to go and say, this is the message of God.